Hello everyone, I believe we are live. Welcome to the podcast where we improve our play or try to improve our play through a more analytical approach. Welcome Seb, nice to have you. Well, not on your second podcast, but on your first one with me. First one with you, so the first real one, right? Luke was, <laughs> Luke was pre-season, it was the warm-up for the real thing yeah. in both senses. Um, yeah. um, by the way, if anyone's listening, uh, if there are any issues with audio, please just let us know in the chat. Um, but I'll give us a thumbs up if it's all good because it's my first time live streaming uh, and using the tech. Luke used to do all that last season. Um, so do let us know. Um, yeah, and how's your, how's your week been, Seb, and your, your first game week as well? Yeah, good. Thank you, my friend. At first, I should just say thank you so much for, for having me. You've invited me and Ben to join your, join your party this season. And uh, I wish I'd started more strongly, but uh, we'll get, we'll get onto that, I guess. Um, but an absolute pleasure to come talk to you. And specifically, I guess, about a part of FPL we're passionate about, right? Yeah. An approach that is a bit analytical driven. And and I think something that I, when I first started playing FPL, I probably experimented, if that's the right word, with a number of ways of interacting with it. Always trying to like, not just trying to go like, oh, I know football or I don't know football, but trying to work out how I could maybe game FPL a bit. And I remember like about 15 years ago when I first started, I was like, okay, I can watch match of the day and I can see how players do and I can mm. try and pick based off that. But also, if I just look at a player's history on the FPL page and see that someone has scored like five games in a row, yeah, you might say, oh, they're in form, they'll score lots. But I was, but my brain wanted to go. So it's actually quite unlikely that they will score again. Like how often does someone score six or seven or eight or mm. nine or ten in a row? Like at some point, they'll stop scoring. And so I feel like that was my first like ever toe dipped into like a more analytical approach mm. whether that was sensible or not i i don't know look at my ranks from back then so probably not <laughs> but that's what led me on this path to like you know how can i be better at fpl and i guess my preference for get for how to get better was to try and look at things from that angle so here we are today now you know allowing an ai to pick our teams for us <laughs> yeah it's quite it's interesting actually how it's changed over time um and i, I kind of i guess I, I didn't i mean i played F, i played fpl for years but i guess didn't play it as seriously as i do now um like yeah. for example, seven or eight years ago. Um, but I guess if you played like a decade ago, there must have been so much fun in the fact there was less content and stuff like that. So different type, it's just a different type of research you had to do, I guess, even before like there was XG data, for example. Yeah. So it's just a completely different game because I've been uh, in the World Cup, been playing the Women's World Cup fantasy game. And for one of the reasons I've enjoyed it is like, there's no content. You have to do all your research. There's hardly any underlying data to go off apart from, you know, you've got the their club data, I guess, of the individual players, or you've got the few games they have throughout the season, which isn't that many. So I just guess I've just found that element yeah. fun. But the, the thing I love about FPL, it's got me really into it in the last three seasons, particularly is, yeah, like the analytics side of it. And yeah, the fact that models just account for a lot of stuff that I struggle to account for just in my head, like um, yeah, that's comparing players. But actually, I know that another player's, one player's going to play more minutes, most likely, but actually calculating like and being able to put on a, being able to put a number on that in terms of predicted points is really just hard to work out yourself i guess um yeah and it's it's much better than our human brains at assigning yeah. probabilities and objective probabilities to things that we think will or won't happen i think you know you say like what was it more fun however long ago I, I for myself at least i'd argue it's about the same like you know finishing well is is fun so you know if i've i've got a higher or, or lower rank it doesn't matter <laughs> what the reasons were i'm probably having more fun i think there are some people that will enjoy it not necessarily because of rank but because of how they're engaging with it mm. so they don't want to go look at not even a model right they don't want to go look at stats or whatever they just want to like enjoy brighton versus gluten when otherwise yeah. they would have no investment in that match 
and the way they do that is by watching Bryce in the week before or, or whatever, whatever that is. And then I think there's probably people who are maybe more like myself and probably like, to be fair, probably like everyone who is talking on YouTube or on podcasts where realistically we'd like to just improve our game wherever possible. Yeah. And in that case, it doesn't matter whether the improvement is like the inception of a site like Scout, which mm. that was that must be many more than 10 years, probably about 15 years ago now, yeah. where that brought stats into the game or even before the stats, it just brought opinion of well-versed people in football and and a big group of people to bounce ideas off right so mm. you could test against just a big group of opinions which was really really useful and you could crowdsource team news or injury news and stuff like that and now we're just at a point where that thing that aid has evolved into a model which can do many things we can't and some things we can do but it can do them better yeah. and fundamentally i don't think there's any difference right it's just about trying to find an edge and when when that edge has moved on it still exists it's just found in a different place some people won't enjoy trying to find it in a new place and that's entirely fair so i think for me you luke ben a lot this season will probably talk about x mins if if the edge used to be how well do you assess a player by eye we maybe don't need that as much anymore because mm. we have numbers that do a good job of it and we have people who assess by eye very well who we can just listen to so if the game is how well do you understand potential tactical permutations of what a manager might do and how well can you predict players minutes be it man city and luke or be it just if gabriel is going to be pinched or not <laughs> i think that's where the game is now and for me that's still fun like because that's where the game yeah. is so that's the bit i enjoy for other people it isn't and i think that's fine that's entirely fair yeah yeah definitely yeah the, it, yeah it's definitely changed in terms of the the types of skills that are needed and there's also it's not again it's just not with, with reviewers and again it's not just adjusting the expected minutes but it's also thinking about, well, how does this work in the context of my team and trying to account for things that maybe won't beyond, for example, the the, the amount of game weeks you've been put into it um, uh, in terms of your team value, in terms of leaving room open for another potential move that it might not have accounted for, etc. So there's all these other things that we might consider as well. And a lot of it comes down to, I guess, risk appetite as well. Um, yeah, how, sure. how much we're willing to risk. We have, might have two players, really similar EV, but one of them with a far... Well, Reese James, perfect example, far higher upside, but far higher chance he's going to get you a one-pointer or suddenly be injured. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, there's those kind of things you have to account for as well, which definitely makes it interesting. And, yeah, it's good to have you. I guess w one of the reasons we ask you and Ben is because, I guess, you're similar to me and Luke in the sense that you've kind of just got into analytics in the last, like most people, in the last few seasons, I guess. And we're, so we're all still, all still learning, um, which is kind of good fun, and we use... It's good fun to use a lot of graphics from people far more clever than myself who kindly let us use them and use some of the data from review that uh, they kindly let us use as well um, to discuss it. Um, and yeah, how was your, um, you mentioned they had a bit of a, didn't have a great first game week. How was it in general? What did you score and kind of what were the upsides and uh, downsides of it? I think I was 74 points off the top of my head, and nice. which is fine. Like I said, I have a great game week. It's all relative just to that really small group of people that you are. Oh, sirens for my team there. Um, just for you know, everyone you compare yourself to, so the analytics crowd or the FPL Twitter crowd, whatever it is, I think there were some people that edged out some decisions that went a lot better. For me, so I've, you know, I've got James, whatever, fine. I played him over Chilwell. I'm kind of chill with that. I've got Havertz, not Martinelli. I'm chill with that as well. The one that was silly is I did go Gabriel, and even before you know, whether he was dropped or not, I was told at first by someone that uh, Gabriel has or hasn't travelled, I think was the word, or isn't starting. Yeah. And so a lot of people were making their moves to Saliba. There's a couple of minutes to go and I just went, ah, whatever. I've already done my, you know, I've already learned about the Stones news and gone Edison. So yeah. Yeah, I, I, 
I'll leave it. Obviously, that was an extremely silly thing to do. So That's I only have myself to blame for that yeah. one. <laughs> yeah. yeah. How about yourself? Uh, I had a pretty bad first game week, <laughs> I guess. I got 65, which is fairly low for the first game week, which is, is I mean, it's actually higher than the average, but I think in, in comparison to really engaged players, and I appreciate all players are technically engaged at this point, but in terms of in comparison to players who are more likely to be engaged later in the season, who take the game a bit more seriously, who you see on FPL Twitter, it was probably fairly low. And it was just lots of, there wasn't, I guess there wasn't in general any massive major huge swings this game week unless you captain someone like Rashford for example it was just lots of little things so for example I had Pickford in goal um, which was less than for example uh, Edison or uh, Johnston yeah I had Gabriel I just wasn't around to see that news unfortunately um, uh, I had um, yeah Havertz in midfield a lot of people had Martinelli that's another few points I captained Saka that was three points down on whether I if I captained Haaland so just a lot, lots of little things, but yeah, nothing major. There's nothing to panic about. We're one game weekend. Um, no huge swings. I had Watkins. I'm still happy with that pick. Um, and yeah, I had, had Reese James. Yeah, the other thing that was frustrating, I had James and Chilwell, but I started James <laughs> rather than Chilwell. So I got that one wrong, unfortunately. Exactly the same. Yeah, yeah, maybe just like under... I don't know. The reason I started James, actually, which we'll never actually find out the answer to now, was because... I felt like there was maybe a 50% chance he would take a penalty if they got one. I think it's between him and Enzo, basically. Uh, and and that's, that's high enough for him to give him, give him a bit of an edge on Chilwell. Um, and he was also very attacking. He could easily have got an assist in that game. But yeah, Chilwell was way more attacking than we expected. And I heard you discuss this on Scoutcast as well. It's just interesting to see, to think about whether that will continue happening to that extent. But again, it ultimately might not matter because we'll probably all own Chilwell anyway. Um, so just yeah, I guess lots yeah, of lots of little things. I guess, uh, yeah. I guess with this... I, th- I think I think we need to be careful with the Chilwell one as well, though, because like in preseason he was arguably more further advanced than James, but that doesn't mean that James isn't still putting up good numbers from where he was. In the last match against Liverpool, James's position was very very encouraging. But as you alluded to there, Pochettino said after the match it wasn't a back three; it was a back four, despite it looking like a back three in various phases of play, and that Chilwell was playing left wing. So if all you do is pull up, say, a heat map or a touch map or whatever of Chilwell from that match, you'd be super excited. But if you then add the context that this is a left winger, it looks exactly like a left winger should. Mm. And then the question is, well, is he a left winger now and therefore an incredible prospect? Or was that a match specific thing? And Poch Mm. mentioned that it was because of Trent inverting. He wanted Chilwell high so he could follow him to midfield. And it would become, I think it was a a back three in the build-up phase so that James would push on from right back into like right wing back and James and Chilwell on the other side would be advanced and then Colwell would tuck in with Thiago and uh, Dezazi so they could build up with three centre-backs and have the outlet on either side of Chilwell and James. Yeah. But then in the defensive phase, so once they transitioned from, say, the press or whatever, Chilwell would actually stay quite high forward mm. and cover Trent in midfield, but then the rest would go into a back four so you'd have Colwell at left back and James at right back. Yeah. So obviously that's going to make Chilwell more attractive in that one match. But whether it continues, I don't know. If it was specific to Trent, I would say no. Mm. But as you said, if James is injured and we all have Chilwell anyway, <laughs> it doesn't matter. He's a good option whether he's left back or left wing. Yeah. So it's almost like in a prolonged period of possession, they were kind of as attacking as each other. But it was after a transition or a turnover, Chilwell would already be up there. So he's on those kind of counter-attacks and that's when he was more dangerous. But I guess just the fact that Potts decided to do that uh, even if we don't think he's going to do that every game week, just the fact he decided to is interesting because he might choose to do that against another team with a very attacking right back, for example. Um, but yeah, we might actually sure. know. I've actually seen in the chat already, 
Now, there could be people winding us up. If you read what the chat says, it says rumours that Stupinan has done his ACL. No. Uh, <laughs> no. So my smile there is as a field manager, not, um, not for a Stupinan. Obviously, I hope yeah. he's fine if he has injured himself, but that would just be... I mean, no one's getting away with that one, are they? Everyone's just going to have a Stupinan and probably one other that they need to sort out, at least. That's true. I guess for an... I really hope that's not true because he had a really awful injury, didn't he, previously? I'm oh, no, sorry, no, he didn't. I'm thinking of... Uh, who's the other wing? They've had another wing back who's had terrible injury. Who, Lamp- who, yeah, Lamp- the English guy. Yeah. He's amazing. Yeah. Raphael, he would have been incredible as well. He was an amazing player. So hopefully it's not as a, a bad injury like that. Um, but it could it could be people winding us up. I, I would, <laughs> who knows? Um, but yeah, if that is true, like you said, for FBL, I guess it feels frustrating when you've got James and Gabriel as well. But also, it, it, ultimately, it's just one more person you take out that everyone has to. I don't think there are many people yeah. that don't own him already. So. Yeah, we, probably we, the one scenario I'd end up saying Gabrielle in actually, because at that point, yeah, at that point I'd be saying I get percentage chance that Gabrielle plays versus the points I'm going to have to spend here to fix my defence. Yeah, that's true. That is true. I'd probably be the same actually. Um, yeah, and in general, I thought it'd be interesting initially actually to discuss because you've already mentioned there to discuss the leaks because I guess what's your like general opinion on that? And again, how because I. I guess a few years ago that existed just through like Twitter through FPL Rockstar, but over the last two seasons from what i can remember it's become more of a thing that it's leaked during live streams from youtubers i guess what are your like general thoughts on that being a thing and whether it's good for the game whether it's bad for the game etc i guess the source doesn't really matter because the news ends up in your lap anyway if you're if you're available to it so whether it's twitter or a stream it gets on both um i guess ultimately it is objectively it is probably worse for the game because it can't benefit everyone the same. It does disproportionately benefit those people who are online, which may well be us. So brilliant, but I don't know if that's the kind of edge I was looking for. Mm. I will happily take it if it's there to be taken, don't get me wrong. But I think it's not necessarily solvable though, is it? Because we moved the deadline further forward and all that happened is the leaks moved forward. Mm. You could move the deadline to two days before. You could set it at midnight at some point. Um, and Mark on Backbox actually had quite a cool suggestion where you have like a transfer deadline where it's you know the midnight the day before the match so you know up to a day and a half sometimes before the matches uh, before the first kickoff but you can still change your captain and your bench afterwards that so it's only transfers you can't make Mm. which i think is probably one of the best solutions i've heard so far but we have game weeks where that wouldn't work we have game weeks where the last match and the first match are too close together so you'd have to break it for that which is arguably when team news is most important as well so Mm. that would be a disproportionate thing there's also obviously the argument of like people in different time zones. That's always going to be an argument because there's always someone who is asleep or or working. Of course, you could try and maximize that for where your players are from. That's that's mm. fair enough. But also, I think my main problem is the wrong word, but my main hesitation with that is that who's to say that we don't get leaks still then? Just because it's a day and a half before. They yeah. might be less concrete. It might not be he's not in the lineup, but we might know he hasn't traveled or he isn't in the training squad or on the training pitch or mm. whatever it is. Like at some point, I think we have to accept that leaks of whatever strength are a part of the game. Yep. And, and so if anything, I'd rather we spread the news around rather than try to hide it, I guess. Yeah. The one thing I would say is when they initially made the change where they moved the deadline from an hour before to an hour and a half before, that's straight away a good thing because those leaks were coming from the team yeah. sheets going to the journalists an hour and 15 before kickoff. So that's great. And that's sort of solved that problem in terms of the team sheets, because they just don't come out before that time. It's very strict in terms of when they get revealed. So that was a good move. But yeah, I agree with you. I think there's been talk of like moving, well, not talk. There's been people suggesting on Twitter removing the deadline to the first kickoff. But my concern would be 
if you move that to half 12, for example, on a Saturday, suddenly you get more leaks for the 3 p.m. games and that becomes even more chaotic. Because ultimately, as you yeah. get nearer to the game, you are more likely to get them. But there will be certain things that happen, like you said, the day before, like with Gabrielle, that are just unpreventable. And um, and yeah, when I, I used to um, I used to work at a football club for a, for a women's team uh, who also have a men's team in the Premier League. And there would be things you find out about that no one else did because you just would see a player, you know, with a boot on or doing rehab in the gym before that was announced. I remember seeing a, <laughs> a fairly big player arrive at the club who I thought played for a different team about two weeks before there was e- about yeah, a few days before there were any, right. any even any rumours they were going to sign for them but everyone at the club knew it was going to happen so people do find yeah. stuff out but yeah I don't have any problem with Andy sharing it on his stream because it's not Andy's responsibility he's been given it by someone who said you're more than welcome to share this but the people at the club who like decide to leak it if they work for the club I think from them it's like incredibly poor <laughs> to be honest and it's those people I have well, a problem that, that, with rather than rather than the YouTubers the FPL people who share it that's the interesting one isn't it because like you said if it's literally a team lineup leak you know publicly we get that an hour before I think journalists get it like an hour and 15 or something mm. so if it's that journalist leaking it in those 15 minutes sure maybe they're putting a relationship with the club at risk but that risk is much smaller than someone who works yeah. for a club it's concrete information it's much closer to the de- deadline so it is a bit more of a problem for us mm. but it's less it's less troubling for them, I suppose. When you start getting to like, okay, the only way we're going to get leaks is by someone who knows this two or three days beforehand, which is entirely possible. Because like you said, you know, if you if you are in the club, if you're a coach or even just work, you know, an intern working somewhere in the club, mm. if you're familiar with how, for example, Arteta runs his training sessions and you see certain players turn up on a Monday and others not, or go to a certain training pitch, <laughs> you know, managers don't, managers do pick the, you know, the team 24 hours before the match, but often they don't. Often they know their team a week ahead because the whole point is to drill the tactics for the next match over that week. When Champions League comes in, that all gets difficult. But if you see on a training pitch that, you know, someone's got a bib on and some has, someone hasn't, that's information that is going to give us a real good clue as to who's going to play. And at that point, I think the person leaking then does obviously have an affiliation with the club and they're choosing for whatever reason to leak that information to most of the FBL world over whatever it's worth to their career. And I'm not in a position by any means to judge them for that. But I'm surprised that's the decision people would make. Yeah. Because I can't imagine that's the more beneficial way around it is, but may- may- maybe it is. And I guess what this all brings us back to is like, what's best for us then as FPL players? And I- I- I'm someone who's tempted to say, just move it to the first kickoff because it it feels like the best way to get the most even amount of information. So we will get more information. It will make the game worse because there will be less judgment calls on minutes and stuff like that. But I think it gives everyone the best chance of having that information. Mm. Any other solution makes our information less certain, but it also reduces who can get it and who can act on it. Mm. And I think I prefer at least everyone having more of a level playing field. Sure. I think. It just, that does make me feel really bad for people who live in other countries where it's like in the middle of the night. But yeah, like you said, maybe those people would rather wake up and see a definite news rather than be waking up for, you know, hoping to see something, uh, I guess. But yeah, it's the kind of thing that's going to be debated for years. Um, but I thought it was just interesting to discuss. Um, we'll move on now to... It's not going to be no, no, I don't think it will. We'll move on now to a couple of graphics. Before that, I'm just going to turn my light on, actually, because I've <laughs> I've done this before and it starts to get dark during the podcast and suddenly you realise you're a shadow. So bear with me for two seconds. <laughs> Setting the mood for the, uh, for the deeper part of the podcast. I'm back. <laughs> that was so cinematic. Just the slide, the noise. Beautiful. <laughs> Beautiful. Right. <laughs> Over the professional. Um, okay, so I'm, I'm, showing a gra- I'm showing a graphic here that um, FPL Chase made, who's a guy on Twitter, 
really good FPL player. Um, does a lot of um, uh, graphics that we've used before in this podcast. And actually, interesting, he's not playing FPL this year. He got a bit sick of it, I think, and wanted a year off. And I listened to him on a podcast. I can't remember which one it was now, where he talked through why he did that. And it was interesting. So, if yeah, so thanks to Chase for letting us use this. And yeah, you should, you should go and follow him on Twitter. Basically, what you can see on this graphic for people listening on the podcast um, as well and not watching is we've got... Um, how the EV or the predicted points for each game week for 10 players here has changed between game weeks two and game week seven uh, from before game week one. So this is what these players were predicted to score from game week two to game week seven before the last game week and how that's now changed for the same game weeks. But since we've had game week one, the majority of that due to players, things we've learned about players minutes. And it's actually with a, it's from FPL model ensemble. So I think this is a mixture of different models including review and a few others, as far as I'm aware. Um, so it's how much we've learned, basically, from the first game week. And I thought it'd be interesting to use this as a basis for the conversation. Uh, and these are the 10 players who have gone up the most. So actually, we were discussing this before the pod, Seb. We've got Andreas Pereira, though, who's gone up by four points over the next six game weeks. But we're a bit confused about why that's the case. So if anyone in the chat has any ideas about why suddenly Andreas Pereira has higher EV over the next six game weeks than he had before game week one. Do let us know. We're wondering if maybe it's because there's stronger rumours now about maybe Mitrovic leaving again and it's to do with him maybe on being on penalties. But we're also a bit confused because he didn't play in game week one. Um, or is, has there been news recently that he's less injured than we thought? Was there maybe an injury thing for game week one? I'm not sure. But if anyone has an idea, let us know. The second on, second on the list is Jao Pedro, who's gone up a lot. And I actually looked at this. If you go on the tweet from Chase, it shows separate graphics that shows how much minutes um, default minutes have changed for these players. So on review, Jao Pedro's default minutes have gone up by 10 minutes. Um, and that was something you did yourself manually, Seb. It feels a little bit low, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. I don't know what they are, the total amount is now. Um, but you obviously did that yourself, Seb, which is one of the reasons you picked him. Can you like talk us through that decision and why you think in general... Oh, sure. Yeah, I think we kind of alluded to it earlier. I think one of the main levers we have available to us is adjusting X minutes to, well, you can adjust them to get it to pick whatever players you want, frankly. But hopefully you adjust them to say maybe align more with your expectations of minutes. So, and this often actually ties in nicely with risk appetite, right? Because you can use it to verify, well, if I think Jao Pedro is going to get 60 minutes, not 40, is that 20 minute increase going mm. to give me a big enough EV gain to take that risk? Because by definition, I think going against the wisdom of the crowd which is probably one way of describing some of uh reviews minutes because i know it has inputs from you know what we all do i need enough of a potential upside to go for that so if i'd if i'd upped his minutes from about 40 to 60 and it hardly gained me anything i probably would have been put off mm. but it took him it took Jao pedro from not being in any in any of the solves to being in like all my solves and yeah. comfortably so and so for me that was the confirmation bias i needed to go yeah he's my he's my second striker not even third my second striker penalties we were relatively confident of but now we've received good confirmation i think uh minutes we were we were okay on that i think review was maybe a little a little light on that with the 40 minutes i upped them to 60 for my calculations and that put him in comfortably we saw him get 88 that doesn't mean we should now adjust them to 88 because mm. obviously next week he might get 70 and so the average of those two would be you know high 70s but i think we can be confident in i mean you say 50 or the or the sort of uh the aggregated total at the moment is 50 that still sounds a little low to me mm especially unless we get any other team news suggesting changes are afoot or signings are happening. So I'd be very happy to stick him at 60, 65 for the next couple of weeks and see how that treated me. 
and then the penalty confirmation that's the big yeah. part as well isn't it was it partly um his the price they bought him for said was it 20 was it 30 million or 20 million i can't remember but they bought him for a decent transfer fee. Was it was it partly the transfer fee that made you think, oh, he's going to be nailed if they're spending that amount of money on him, or was it how they lined up in preseason? I don't I don't think it was the transfer fee. Like, I guess it's important to acknowledge that I can't ignore that. I'm sure it did weigh on me unconsciously in some way, but generally, I'm kind of a believer in, especially in this age where managers don't generally buy players. I am a believer in the fee doesn't hugely matter to if someone's going to play because you pay the price you want for them and then the manager is going to play them if they think they fit the tactical setup and whatnot and of course you hope there is harmony between those two things you hope the recruitment team and the manager team are talking mm. but they maybe aren't and also Jao Pedro could have been one for the future you pay 30 million and then you don't play him for a season would have been an entirely yeah. legit way to operate and often a way Brighton do operate mm. but maybe with players who are you know lesser known to us I think it was more pre-season he lined up can't remember off the top of my head but it was nine once, ten a couple of times, something like that, was getting good minutes, and then penalties. If he was only getting minutes with no hint of penalties, maybe that, that wouldn't be enough. But the idea that he could get an hour, I thought, minimum, mm. and potentially take a penalty in that time, I got lucky that he actually took a penalty. That's enough upside, if that's the right word, for me to go for it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm sure he'll be a great option moving forward. I think most people, analytics players, went for... You saw quite a big range, actually, between Jackson, Pedro and Watkins. They all seem pretty viable, depending on maybe how much you spend on your keeper or how much depth you had in other positions uh, as well. Um, I, think a lot of, I, yeah, I think a lot of people went for Jackson because they felt like they were going to go from anyway from game week three. And the risk there was more to do with whether they signed someone else. And that's the same. I think that's probably the same for why Antonio's on here. Um, he started and also West Ham haven't signed anyone else, have they? There's been, there's been rumours, for example, early in the transfer window, there was rumours that we're trying to sign Balogun, for example, but they've not signed... Uh, I'd love signs. Yeah, there's rumours today that um, um, Mitrovic might still go uh, to Saudi and they've Balogun's on their list to go to Fulham. Um, actually, just to touch on him. That'd be, that'd be an, an FPL cheat, wouldn't it? Yeah, 4.5 years. It'd be, that'd be crazy. Um, yeah, Udogi, if, <laughs> is that how you pronounce it? Udoji or Udogi uh, is on this list. On, on I, will, I will follow you your lead, my friend. Udoji, I'm going with that. Um, Go with it. I wonder if that's See, I actually saw a couple of people with him in their team, actually. And again, he's like a cheap defender that seems like he's going to maybe will play regularly. And I guess that's gone up just on the fact he started in game week one. And that, I guess, leads to a more general point about game week one is probably just a generally a pretty good, uh, gives you a pretty good general idea, I guess, depending on opposition. Because ultimately, you've got most teams have most of their players fit. Uh, and players who are fit are kind of at the peak of their fitness or should be going into the season. And I think generally teams will play their strongest team in game week one, unless they're teams like Man City who are just loads tactically. And it probably does give you a really good idea actually of who is first choice straight away that first game. Um, so that's interesting. So I guess he may be an option, just I guess, guess not now because of fixtures, to be honest. But interesting that he's maybe one that becomes an option later. Um, and yeah, Alvarez was the other one that kind of stood out to me on here, I guess, as well. Um, and that's for pretty obvious reasons in terms of De Bruyne and I being injured until next year, I believe. So for quite a few months. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. Until, that's so tough. Until 2024, yeah. So, yeah, that's... I, w I really hope the way his Premier League career doesn't end is just injuries mm. and fizzles out. He, he deserves more than that. He's so good, isn't he? Just a phenomenal player. I just wish we... Yeah, because he's not... He's, I mean, how old is De Bruyne now? Like 32 or 33, I, I would guess. Two? I'd be wrong, yeah. So he's beyond his peak, isn't he? But he's still so good. 
And yeah, in terms of I mean, that, with his quality, with his qualities, you could give him three or four more years if you adjust his role. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thinking, what do you mean in terms of you make him play deeper? Yeah. So, I mean, what's a what's a good example? Obviously, he's he's not like Paul Scholes, but mm. obviously, you drop someone from you know in FM speak, advanced playmaker to deep line playmaker or whatever it is, because he's he is quite dynamic in the way he plays, right? He, yeah, yeah, exactly. He is quite dynamic. He he does. I think more than people think when you look at him. He really does get around a lot. He is actually quite quick. He is involved in the press an awful lot. But his on-ball skills are so very good that if you could manage to take the, you know, more of the dynamism out of his game because he's getting older and you want to protect him or you think he's as capable of it, you still probably have the best mm. ball-playing midfielder in the league there. Yeah. Yeah, he's a joke, isn't he? <laughs> and, like, it'd just be very interesting to see how that now impacts the team. It's just... Al- yeah, Alvarez obviously is X Mins have gone up. It's just whether they've gone up to the extent that he suddenly becomes an option. And I mean, no one's considering getting him this week, which is good because I believe Luke's on the pod next week and probably good timing when people are thinking about making transfers for him to discuss Alvarez as an option. But I guess it's the fact that he he's in the game as a forward, isn't he? Um, so I guess most people would would go there if they go for a third forward, maybe. But very few went with that lineup. Actually, am I right in saying when you went through your draft last week, Seb, he was in there? Or have I just made that up? Yeah, I had him originally, and yeah. that spot became Jao Pedro. Yeah. And I basically put the money in the bank. So I did, I had Vardiol, and it was Steele or Pickford. It might have been the rotation in goal. The Stones news made me go Edison in goal, which I was very comfy to do. You know, I'll take my Man City clean sheet. Thank you very much. And I went back to Bolduck at the back. So that mm. put the same amount of money back in my sure. bank. Uh, I went from Alvarez down to Jao Pedro. And I brought, as part of that time as well, I brought Havertz in, I think, over Martinelli. The thinking on all of that, basically, roughly, was I wanted 1.5 in the bank because that 1.5 let me would allow me to do Jao Pedro to Jackson, uh, Gabriel to, to Trippier, Havertz to a 9.0, although obviously I'd also be able to do Martinelli to that because mm. same spot. But the idea was I wanted roughly that amount of money because there were some very, very nice options in slots that I had uh, minutes questions over, or if not minutes questions, fixture questions. So like Gabriel, even if we thought he was playing 90 minutes a week, I think it was about game week four that moving him to a Newcastle defender looked sensible. Mm. And at the same time, moving Jao Pedro, whether he played or not, to like a Newcastle or Chelsea attacker also looked quite sensible. So I think trying to account for those fixture swings with most of us probably looking about game week for a wild card, or even if we're not, you know, it's a good game week horizon. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think we're looking for that sort of midterm swings for our transfers, aren't we? Yes. Yeah, definitely. By the way, we've got um, about 60 people watching live, so thanks to everyone who's joined us. Really appreciate oh, it. Stefan's just said that Spurs have asked about Balogun, apparently, which would be very interesting as well. But then you just wouldn't know, would you, straight away, whether he's been signed to be the first choice ahead of Richarlison or whether he'd be going to back up. But yeah, he could... Probably, probably just... And it's off both of them, doesn't it? Yeah, like Balogun could become an unbelievable... I did a graph in pre-season where I compared like non-penalty XGI last season to their price and he was right in the corner for low price, high non-penalty XGI. And they're the kind of player that could just break yeah. the game if he starts regularly, if he gets the minutes. And you could like halve it as well. Because yeah, he was in Liga and so fine, take something off. But yes, you could basically yeah. halve his XG and at 4.5, he's still a stupidly good value at that option. price. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Um and we've got Focal in the chat as well, who said, yeah, perhaps as a third forward. Flapjack saying hi as well. Well, thanks to everyone who's joined. We really appreciate oh, it. Hey. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's great. Um, another, another thing as well, is there any play, are there any players you think wouldn't, I've just, this has just come to mind, think may be on this now, <laughs> since we've had the news today about Reese James 
and Stones being out, I guess. Because um, I was just wondering whether Enzo would be on here, just because um, he played fairly advanced in the first game and it's just the penalties thing now. There's a very good chance that he's on yeah. penalties. Um, Off the top of my head, Jackson hasn't taken many, but that is a that is me trying to recall if I looked it up, because that would be the other one. Yeah, It's yeah, probably... Yeah just striker right just the bias towards always a striker he must take penalties yeah so yeah i think if enzo if enzo is now like the only viable penalty taker at 5.0 that comes very tempting it's a bit i guess it's a little bit McAllister before he started playing 10 when he was playing deep you're mm. basically buying for the you know even if he's the advanced state as opposed to like the six you're basically buying for the penalties in the hope of some sort of outfield involvement but you're getting a cheap price in return for that so mm. yeah it's viable but with all the midfielders we have at like decent prices, are you finding a spot in your squad for that when when you know you've got was it Martinelli, Saka, mm-hmm. Erdegaard, Rashford, Bruno, Liverpool players still who we haven't gone to and so on, you know, Mbumo, Matoma. I don't know if I'm finding a spot for a five point Fernandez. Yeah, at the moment. Yeah. Same for Diaby, isn't it, who's also on here. He could actually be an absolutely gold pick and some people have gone there really early and they could have massive reward there for you know, there's always a little bit of uncertainty when the players from another league. But his underlying data was so good before he joined. I can't remember if he was Ligue 1 or Bundesliga. You'll probably know, Seb. Um, Ligue 1? Uh, Bundesliga. Bundesliga, okay. Um, I knew he was from one of those two. Um, but yeah, even though it's from a different league, like, yeah, his underlying data was already really good, which is why he was in some of the... was quite high on the models anyway. And yeah, the people who went there could be marauded massively. But he's probably not one you'd probably go to now, I guess. Uh, it's similar with Habit. It's Habit. a fixture. Sorry, go on, Seb. Yeah, it's a fixture thing. I was just going to say, it's, it's probably a fixture thing yeah. with all these. So unlike seasons where probably a long, long time ago, but we used to have seasons where, you know, some of your team was just set all year because they were either the best value or the best players and there weren't that many other options. Mm. If you've got half a dozen 6.5 midfielders, another half a dozen between seven and eight, you can't have all of them all the time. So you're probably just swapping and changing based on the best fixtures, aren't you? So Aston Villa, off the top of my head, is it? five six something like that that we might start looking at their players yeah. yeah something like that yeah i mean the fixtures aren't bad before then uh i should have a fixtures up really let's have a quick let me just get them up on here while i wait um but yeah i was gonna it's, gonna, it's another player that's like similar but i guess maybe the opposite in a sense is Havertz, and that if you've got him now from the beginning which i have um just like just stick with him like there's no there's no point like i'm with you there yeah just yeah talk, talk to me about he's up so what do you think increased so it's not much, but he's up by about one point two over the next six. I think I think it's just the what f- increased. You think? I think it's probably just maybe the formation they played. So actually, in their formation, they had Inketia, Havertz, Erdegaard, Martinelli, and Saka. So essentially, five attacking players. So I would just wonder if it's something to do with that. If they keep, if they keep playing that amount of attackers in general, and that formation suddenly that way of setting it was viable. That's just more space for attacking players to play in. Um, and I like in my opinion, he was fairly nailed anyway. And and I think it's I guess it's also actually some people expect him to play in the false nine like he did in the Community Shield. He's now done that in the Community Shield. He's now also played in more of a I guess he was like a central attacking midfielder role in this game on the weekend. So there's two viable positions that Arteta's played him in that we now know of as well. So I guess there's more potential positions he could play in. That would be my guess. Um, um and it's gone up over time and maybe that's to do with Maybe there's there's more confidence that he's going to keep him his place. That you still see when you get to game week five, from there that starts to drop off, with Jesus coming back, I guess, uh, in general. But maybe just the fact he started the first one in the first place, um, maybe there's just more more confidence in that, um, I guess. 
Fair enough. Um, that would that would be that would be what I think it is. Um, yeah, and it, it was minutes, so his minute his expected minutes have gone up again, which I'd agree with. He probably just moved them up slightly because you know he started. Um, sorry, someone in the chat as well, uh, James, saying that yeah, on Andreas they weren't one hundred percent sure if he was fit for game week one. So the fact he just came off the bench suddenly increases him. They know he was ready for that game. Oh, uh, nice. So uh, that's almost like a that's almost like a false increase because it's just a correction to what it would have been if he wasn't injured, as opposed to like. As opposed to like new information, if that makes sense. Yeah, and it's probably just in general quite a good learning point in terms of things to look out for in models when you adjust X bins and why that's why we should always do that as much as possible manually ourselves because ultimately they're still picked by the minutes are still picked by a human or a group of people often I think, um, and you might just disagree with them and that's where that comes in. So that's why you need to be adjusting it or they, you might just think oh there's something they've missed in terms of a little comment in a press conference that they've just not picked up on and I guess even more so. I think it's probably fair to say. I guess even more so with players who play for smaller teams. Ultimately, people have put more thought into the X-Men's of players who play for bigger teams who are more likely to be picked because you're naturally they're on your mind more and they're more FPL options. So I imagine the people who do the minutes for the models spend more time on that. So, And maybe Jao Pedro is an example of that. I don't know uh, where we could see that his X-Men's are a lot higher than they were projected before the season. Um, yeah, but I thought let's, let's just... I, I, I... I've recalled someone once, just to just to add to that, someone describing the X-Men's once, might have been Review himself, as less of a, this is the number of minutes I expect. Because obviously at that point, if you predict 59 versus 61, well, there's a big difference in, in, in the expected points you'd get for that. But more of just a percentage chance that you think that they finished the whole match. So if the whole match is 95 minutes long and I put in, I don't know, what would that be like, 61 and a half, I'm sort of saying I think they have a 67% chance of playing the whole match or I'm yeah. two-third confident get 90 minutes here which means a third of the time they don't start or get you know the last few minutes mm. two-thirds of the time they get enough of them to be a good pick so obviously that's not that's not a perfect transposition but i think that's quite a useful way of thinking of it it's mm. not necessarily a literal number of minutes but it's more like percentage chance of getting 90 minutes yeah yeah definitely and i guess that's actually even more easier to do now uh, on review at least it goes up to 100 minutes is that right? No, sorry, it goes to 95 anyway. It's 95. 95 it now. So in your head, it's nearer to a percentage, I guess, anyway, slightly than in comparison to last year. But yeah, like a goalkeeper is a perfect example. Like some goalkeepers will be 88 expected minutes. Obviously, you don't predict them to play 88 minutes. You predict them to play maximum minutes every yeah, week. Yeah. But it's just that chance of a random injury or there might be a backup keeper who's quite good. So that's a good way to yeah. kind of think about. Uh, I'll just go into the next, next slide. It feels weird saying slide. Um, this is the same, but um, expected point losses. So exactly the same uh, metric and the same uh, type of data, but just those players who've, uh, whose EV has gone down for game weeks two to seven now comparison in comparison to before game week one. And yeah, two, two interesting ones right at the top. Mudrick right at the top, I guess, because he didn't start at all. And we saw Sterling start, which maybe people expected anyway. Um, and then, uh, yeah, Gabriel. <laughs> uh, who's dropped off a lot and that'll just be so interesting to see that, how that plays out because all we know well I saw a tweet that said something like uh, it was saying there was a tactical thing basically um, but have we heard Arteta say that it's tactical rather than it wasn't an injury then has he ruled so I've heard second hand so probably same as you the mm. tactical thing. So I guess he was asked after the match, why didn't Gabriel play? Mm. You know, was he injured? And I believe the response was, as I said, tactical or yeah. something that suggests that, but nothing more than that. Yeah, because I just wondered whether he just said not injured and then it could be disciplinary. But 
actually generally if it's disciplinary managers do tend to mention it uh there's also yeah. some stuff about like uh, there was some stuff on twitter about gabriel being approached by a saudi team and i just thought oh, could it have something to do with that but i think it's just a lot of stuff providing me false hope as a gabriel owner i think what from, <laughs> from what we know it seems like it was just a tactical thing uh and maybe a tactical thing that didn't go very, yeah. very well potentially um and i just think it's maybe partly to do with we know arteta bases so much of his managerial style on pep and how influenced he is by him and just also just partly that the modern game is just going the way we have to have a massive squad if you look at what Chelsea are doing. So I wonder if it's just Arsenal just building towards that ultimately. And this is the first stage we're seeing is actually we'll see more rotation in their defence and maybe over time we'll see that happen more in the attack. Um, but it's, it's, it's just a frustrating one because he's the most nailed, one of the most nailed players in the entire game. There's like barely missed a minute at all over three seasons to suddenly we don't know if he's going to start. Um, I would like guess that he starts this weekend, but just the fact we know that that can happen tactically now is just like that's automatically an issue. Um, and for us, it's interesting as well, Seb, because if we buy uh, a player to replace James this week, me and, me and Seb are in the same position where we own James and Gabriel. If we buy a player to replace James, um, like there is the option that you could still start Gabriel over them, but it's a risk. Because if, if I knew Gabriel was starting this week, I'd be so confident starting him because Palace are really bad at defending set pieces, particularly. Uh, yeah. And in general, Arsenal defence is good. Um, you know what really got uh, me with that is him subbing on. Because oh, not only would I have got my two world points same. off the bench, but but now maybe this maybe this isn't correct. But now I feel less confident starting him next week because at least if I had that one week sample of he either plays ninety or zero, oh, no. I could yeah. go well I'll throw him in and he'll get ninety or zero and that's cool. But if I now start him and he gets a couple of minutes again at the end, that's pretty painful. He came on after he went to two one as well, didn't he? So like, if, yeah, if, presumably if that goal didn't go in. Maybe. Was it? It wasn't. It was. It wasn't for the timber injury. That was Tommy Asu, wasn't it? Yeah, so, yeah presumably Asu, it was yeah. just to shore up, shore up the defense at the I just end. Just think, oh, if they didn't concede that one goal, maybe he wouldn't have come on. But we don't know, do we? Maybe he would have um, anyway. But ah, oh, so really, I, I don't think the timber injury particularly improves his chances. Like, yeah, one less player obviously helps his minutes to some degree. But if we think the reason was tactical, and um, I don't know if you wanted to use this slide now, we'll save it yeah, for a minute. Yeah, let's do it, yeah. The, yeah, go for it, cool. This is the general So we had, one. yeah, so the shape here. Oh, I've lost you, I've lost your um, sound, Seb. Can you still hear me? Oh, there you go, I'm back, I'm okay. back, hello. <laughs> I was just trying, to, just trying to bring up the screen here and uh, shut this one, apologies. So yeah, we can see the shape here. This is from SofaScore is the average in possession shape i believe it is with your two center backs nominally there at the back in number two is saliba in the middle we have number four with ben white who was playing there and then 12 is timber obviously timber went off injured what we'd oh and i should mention party obviously started nominally at right back but we can see there he's tucked inside further than ben white and is slightly further forward so what we've seen happen here is unlike when zinchenko is playing on the left when Zinchenko is the one that will invert, which means the three remaining defenders have to shift to accommodate that. So they will build up in a back three with then the fullback inverted into midfield to form like a two in the base of midfield. You'd see, say, uh, Rice and Zinchenko. Or in this example, we have uh, Declan Rice, who is number 41, and we have Thomas Partey, who is number five. But because the inversion has come from the opposite side, which is Thomas Partey going from right back into the midfield, that means that Ben White is now our right centre-back, so he retains mm. that slot. Saliba, who starts at left centre-back, has gone into the centre-centre-back position here. And Timber, who is left centre-back, gets to remain, or left-back, I guess, in this, gets to remain as left centre-back in this build-up phase. 
what I believe, and I don't have this direct from Arteta, but from an Arsenal podcast, which I believe is called The Pot Shots. I hope I've got that right, but they're great. Their analysis is wonderful. They were talking, actually in pre-season, and I wish I'd listened, <laughs> that Arteta doesn't like Gabriel at centre-centre-back. And when you're inverting from the right, you can see that if this lined up with Ben White at right-back, so he'd then be doing, you know, flip, mirror this round, he'd be doing the timber job of sort of a left-back, slightly inside, slightly forward, you would see Saliba at right centre back, Gabriel at centre centre back, and then say in this, for example, Timber at left centre back. If what um, Arteta wants to do is avoid having Gabriel at centre centre back, he has to invert from the left. If he inverts mm. from the right and with Zinchenko out or not preferred, with Party inverting here, he has to drop Gabriel in order to keep Saliba at centre centre back and keep the structure he wants. The other arguments, of course, against that would be that Gabriel is a set piece threat. So in teams where there's more physical threat against Arsenal, or they believe they have the physical dominance going forward the other way, maybe he would still pick Gabriel. But again, as pointed out on that podcast I mentioned, signed habits. And that potentially provides, even if it's just height, not necessarily aerial prowess traditionally, it does provide another physical presence, which if Arteta is thinking in terms of man for man on the field, he can drop Gabriel, not have to put him at centre centre back, but still have just as much height in the team as he did before. If he's now playing mm. uh, Havertz at eight or say number nine, so I think obviously this is a massive amount of extrapolation from basically one match. But if this was just a oh Gabriel has been dropped because we wanted to build up in a certain way, which I think is another uh, reasonable assumption. You know, Forest set up in a low block. You're going to have a lot of possession ahead of that low, low block. You've got to think about how you're going to break it down. What we effectively saw was that Nketiah came into the team for Gabriel. Partey dropped a right back. Mm. So you're putting one more attacker on the field. You're making sure you keep all your passes. You can build up in the same way, but with an extra person. If that was the case, I'd be pretty confident in Gabriel playing next week because you'd say, well, if it's just a build-up thing, Palace build up differently, they defend differently, that's fine. But if it's because of this sort of three centre-back thing with Gabriel not being the centre-centre-back... And we can't rely on Gabriel being the main set-piece threat, or at least one of the set-piece threats, because Arteta thinks he's still got height in the team. I'd be quite worried that this is now a good option for Arteta, mm. especially until Zinchenko returns. So if Zinchenko's in the team and fit, I'd feel a lot happier about it. But as you mentioned a minute ago, and to bring us full circle, if Arteta is looking at two players for every position, which was the justification for Raya, he now has two players who can play in goal, he's got two strikers... Mm. Of myriad of defenders so if injuries happen he can just slot someone else in and he also has slightly different options so you know Havertz is a different option to Shaka in that sort of advanced state despite it being the same role uh, Raya for example is we believe a better long distributor than Ramsdale so while Ramsdale might be as good a shot stopper or might be worse if something Arteta wants to do is start hitting Jesus from the long ball which he is surprisingly good at as long as it's not too high he is extremely good in the holdup. You also mm. have Martinelli, who's a good left, a good outlet on the left, as long as he has space. And you now have, as mentioned, Havertz, who can be hit in the midfield. If Arteta is starting to think, well, if we get pressed, like against the Brighton, and we can't work our way out, if I can get it to Raya, and Raya can then deliver, which I think last year he had the best long distribution in the league by quite a way, if I can start hitting people like Jesus and Havertz from deep build-up, that's a brilliant option for me. Mm. So if he's thinking, I need two players for every position, and I need tactical solutions... I start to worry more about Gabriel being this nailed player, which he was last season. Yeah. Of course, what I've done though is I've spoken for five minutes about something, and I don't want to. I don't want to lend more weight to that just because I spoke about it for a while than we deserve. I think it is worth a marginal adjustment in your minutes. So if you thought Gabriel was nailed, and then you drop them down to eighty because he didn't start, I'd say closer to seventy is probably fair if we think there's also a tactical consideration. Mm. 
No, that's really interesting, actually. And I guess the whole thing, something that is just like an important caveat is even if it's best case scenario, what you said here in terms of being more confident that Gabriel, for that tactical reason, therefore more confident Gabriel plays against Palace, just the fact he's done it once is already just worrying in itself because you just know he could do it again for another game. And the fact that, I mean, you could suggest that it didn't work in that game just because they nearly lost it. I don't know. Um, I didn't actually watch that game of football. But even if even if it didn't work, if, if that's the takeaway, that doesn't mean he's going to suddenly stop doing it. Again, even for the coaching staff, one, one game's a small sample as well. So if they believe in a certain uh, tactical style, they're going to persevere with that. It's not like, oh, it didn't work, so we give up on that. Uh, generally, that's not what we see anyway. So I think it's fairly concerning either way. Um, and it's just <laughs> almost like with the Reese James injury, for those of us who are both on top of it, it suddenly forced a decision in terms of um, a transfer out but yeah I think most of us I think we, hopefully we can just transfer out James because it seems like that might be quite a serious one it's just the decision of whether you would be willing to start Gabriel for those who are in that position and then you really just have to make a judgment based on that Palace game if we had one more game to so, local said Zinchenko played in a behind closed doors friendly so mm. if we get I don't know if behind closed doors is enough to then say he's going to start this weekend Especially if, you know, we don't know if there are other tactical reasons that Arteta would rather invert from the right than the left. Mm. For example, maybe because Havertz is now on that side and, you know, different setups, different build-up patterns. But if we knew Zinchenko was starting or was available to start, I would have more confidence in Gabriel playing because of the reasons I've just gone through. So I'd obviously be backing that piece of, you know, tactical guesswork. Mm. Without Zinchenko being available, I'd be, I would be concerned. I'm not dropping Gabriel, you know, out of the minutes completely. But I'd, I'd, I'd give a significant hit. And I think when I was playing around before this, if Gabriel is at like 80 minutes or something, my my recommended transfer from review is uh, James to... Uh, I think it, I've completely forgotten what Colwell. it was. James. Oh, thank you. Of course. Yeah, James to Colwell. And then like second was like James to Shaw or something. Mm. If I drop Gabriel minutes further to about 60, I think it was, or 50, it starts suggesting... Gabriel to a City defender such as Ruben Diaz mm. because I guess it thinks I'm not going to have a Gabriel option in the future weeks so that feels like the crucial pivot point of you know it's less this week and more what do we do going forwards beyond this week I guess you do the James one now because you know you're going to want particularly if we find out it is, if it is as serious as rumoured you know you're going to do that one eventually anyway that buys you another week to then consider Gabriel and on Zinchenko as well he's, yeah. Zinchenko is just returning from injury the fact he played a behind closed doors friendly today um, it's hard to know what to read from that really if he played it today, Thursday, and he's playing Monday, yeah, I would say if he's played like 45... That is enough time, isn't it? Yeah, if he played like 45 minutes today or something, well, maybe that's a good thing. Yeah. He said in a press conference today, he's very close, basically. Um, right. But then, yeah. Um, did you want me to show the uh, heat maps for Timber and Party, oh. Seb? I think we probably talked through it. We covered um, it, yeah. Maybe useful for a bit of context. Sure. We don't need to dwell on it too much. So there's just sort of... So you have Timber there uh, on the left-hand side, just sort of shows he's playing, mm. obviously inverting because he's not a bombing on left-back or anything, but he's occupying that sort of left side of the pitch. Uh, and then if we swap to Partey, who you know nominally was starting from right-back and Timber from left, you can see how it differs a little bit where Partey is coming a little bit higher, actually, funnily enough, but much further inside, uh, deeper, more central as well, playing that if you were to line this up as like a 3-2 in terms of the, the defense mm. and, and the deep midfield, and then with all the attackers beyond it, that's kind of the shape we're seeing here. Obviously, a single match heat map like this, very much based on context as well, because party isn't just going to sit in the middle if the ball is, for example, we see here going down the right channels, that is also what he's going to be responsible for. It's also a timber as well. This is only for about 30 minutes or something as well, so it's also quite... Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely good point. 
But um, yeah. but no, it's really interesting analysis there. But it kind of I can't remember if we actually discussed this while we were recording or not. But it's like at this time in the season, this is the because we don't have much long. I mean, we can go off data from last season, but and we use that as the basis, of course. But there's a lot of adjusting that needs to be done early in the season because we don't. This is the time in the season where teams are most likely to set up different tactically. It's like this is the time where you've, you just have to make quick decisions uh, on things like this. Although it might not be ideal using a sample from one game, if there is something tactical you've picked up on, that's where you, this, if you're going to react to that at some point, it's going to be more like to be in the beginning of the season as well. Um, yeah, but no. yeah, I think like the most, the best reason to use a small sample, or maybe the only reason is if there's new information. Yeah. So new players signing, new tactical setups, new managers, as you mentioned before we started, is a really good reason to use a small sample because if nothing else, it's all we've got. It's all we've got that is valid data. Hmm. Yeah, 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 definitely. Yeah, I agree. Um, just going back to this graphic as well with terms of points, expected points, losses, it's all pretty straightforward. The rest of them, I guess we mainly wanted to chat about Gabriel. Trossard, for obvious reasons, he didn't start. He's now projected to score less because he particularly because Enketia started over him and we've actually seen Trossard start as the number nine before. And straight away, that doesn't look good for, for Trossard. Um, other ones that are more obvious, like Darwin again, like what I said about the first game being a good indication of their favourite 11. The fact they didn't start the first match of the season is it would be a worry. I don't think many people own him anyway. And then you know, even other obvious ones like Ramsdale, because of Reyes signing, his expected points will go down naturally and expected value should go down and, and it's, it's interesting to see if what, that's a trend we'll see long term because De Zerbi's spoken like really openly in the press about the fact that um, uh, Steele and uh, who's their second keeper uh, uh, for Brooklyn for Brooklyn yeah the fact that they're both very good and they're competing with each other uh, Moyes spoke about his keepers and literally said I've got two number ones when he talked about Ariola and Fabianski so it'd just be interesting whether that Ariola would... oh, yeah, I think sorry say that again Ariola started as well, I believe. Yeah, yeah, Ariola started instead of Fabianski, and then, yeah. but then rather than us knowing now, oh, Ariola's going to start all season, he said, "I've got two number ones." So it'd just be interesting to see if that's like a trend we see in football, whether we will see more teams just rotate keepers and have two really strong keepers, or whether we'll see. I think the interesting thing with press conference comments as well is always like, I'm trying to please the what would David Moyes say? Like he's gonna say. He's probably going to say I have to number ones, mm. even if he knows he's never playing Fabianski again, but he just wants to keep Fabianski sweet. He's got to motivate So yeah. there's always that second layer of like, what is the manager saying? And then like, but why are they saying it? Like, are they saying it to us, us FBL managers? Are they trying to get a reaction out of their player? Are they just telling the truth to the press? Or are they, or are they just like, they hate press conferences, one out of there and they'll just give an answer and then they're done. I think most of the time, take that information, you know, surface level, but especially with someone like Pep. You know, you know that classic when he's like, "Oh yeah, they're looking so hot in training." I create one, but it, <laughs> all the time. He's so important to us. He's like, you just know they're not playing. Like you just know that he's trying to sweeten the fact that they're going to get dropped. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. He just says like mad things, doesn't he? Pep sometimes about players. <laughs> like Foden's the best young player I've ever worked with in my life, <laughs> and like things like that. He'll say, and then he won't play for the next few weeks. He did the exact thing. <laughs> yeah. Remember last season, Foden started I think the first eight games in a row, and then he made some really positive comments about him, and then he didn't start for like three or four in a row. Like, it's just so hard oh, to... Mate, I put him in the Christmas wildcard. That was a disaster. <laughs> yeah, I remember that, actually. Did you have Saka as well, or did you go from instead of Saka? No, that was over Saka. It oh, was yeah. over Saka. Um, <laughs> and a huge part of the reason was the first game back for City was Leeds. Yeah. <laughs> and I basically, I went, like, entirely sensible, if you want to call it that, mm. with the rest of my team. And then I think it was genuinely, like, about 11.25, and I was like, I, I require this emotional, spicy hedge. So I went for it. Because the reasoning being, you know... 
I'm happy either way. Either Leeds do well, not either Leeds do fine, but a player doesn't score against my team, yeah. or the player that scores against my team is, is someone in my FPL team. Obviously, I got the worst of both, which was, <laughs> if you look back, probably the most likely outcome. But I allowed mm. heart to govern head there. Yeah, I don't have that problem. Well, you don't have that problem anymore. Sorry to rub it in. <laughs> no, no, I will. Yeah. The worst season I've had in FPL for a very long time was the season Leeds got promoted, and it was entirely because I was so determined not to bias myself towards Leeds. Oh, okay. I biased myself against us, so, so I just way. didn't own Dallas once, not once, and I only owned Bamford, but like towards the end. Yeah. So yeah, that was that was a disaster. It can work, but it can work really well. So like Tom, a guy called Tom, uh, who does FPL Dummies podcast, and if you've, uh, he's also actually Brentford correspondent for Planet FPL. Anyway, but he just like will always, regardless, will always have two or three Brentford players. And he's like fully aware that it's bias. He just does it because he watches Brentford and he wants to support his players extra. And then last season was just an absolute, yeah, it was an absolute dream for him. There was just so many times when <laughs> Brentford got clean sheets in bad fixtures or Tony would like score a brace in a bad fixture. And he was like the only person in the world who owned him. Uh, oh, yeah. that's amazing. That's amazing as well. Because <laughs> like you say, playing for rank is one thing, but if you just want to make sure you're not cheering against your own team, how lovely to get both those things, right? Yes. Yeah, exactly. Um, great. I think we'll just do some questions to finish. I mean, I was going to touch uh, on on Chelsea, um, but I think that comes up in one of the questions, and it's just the basic question of uh, Reese James, basically, what to do with that. So let me just uh, get these questions up. One second. Okay. Yeah. First question: um, What's the minimum EV gain you would need to feel safe going against a very high EO captain or player, e.g., transferring out Haaland or not captaining him? From Rick Woolley asked that question. Thanks, Rick. Uh, Ricky, sorry. Um, so uh, this is a question for you, right, my friend? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, Seb says that because I captained Saka last week. Um, yeah, I think on review, Saka was maybe 0.3 ahead. Um, if it, Normally, what I would do if it's 0.2 or 0.1, that's so minimal within one game week, that's when I would just kind of, I might go with or against the herd, depending how risky I'm feeling. And also just based on, I guess, my own feelings or like guts basically uh because it's just so minimal and then you, so you see that a lot when people are doing their free hits like game week 29 last year loads of people sorry uh, not game week 29 the, the week last year when loads of people free hit it maybe 28 or something like you saw so many teams that were different but with exactly the same ev value because there were so many different ways to do it um so in general if it's like 0.1 or 0.2 i would just yeah i would go a bit more with my gut and i think if fpl review didn't exist I probably would have captained Haaland. Um, but because he was because Saka was ahead on review and because to be honest, before I saw review, I just really fancied Arsenal in that fixture and just just really fancied Saka to do well and thought that Arsenal were more likely to win like four or five nil, for example, than City were. Um, yeah, neither of them did. That's why I went with him. Um and it, yeah, I lost three points in the end. So yeah, I'm I'm fairly like happy to go against EO in general if the EV is there based on review and I agree with the X-Mins and stuff but if it's as close as 0.1 or 0.2 I would generally uh, put a bit more intu intuition into it um, but I know other people who like if it's within 0.5 then they'll just again they wouldn't back against Haaland so again it depends partly on how risk averse you are uh, yeah, and that did like at half time on the Friday night when Haaland already had a brace in my head I'm thinking like Haaland could score four or five goals here <laughs> and it's not even the Saturday of the first game week and I'm screwed um, so yeah from half time onwards it went really well he then blanked Saka scored earlier then I was thinking oh Saka might have scored him just needs one more return and yeah in the end he got all three bonus so yeah 
So I lost out on three points. Yeah, I, mean, I, would, I, mean, I would do that your again. Sack, your sack prediction came in. Like, you returned. probably just yeah. ended up with Haaland. Yeah, yeah, probably, yeah. Yeah, probably is that. Uh, I think I think the Wave Review himself has said it a few times in the past as well is like 0.1, 0.2. What the model is telling you there is make up your own mind. Yeah. Like if it's telling you there's a 0.1 difference between two players, it is not saying you should pick this player no. because you'll get 0.1 more. It is saying it's so close, use other stuff to supplement your decision or vibe it. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I'm all up for a bit of vibes now and then. Um, oh, yeah. Uh, next question is uh, I kind of covered it a little bit, but this person says Gabriel's my first sub. Uh, do you think it's worth uh, selling him, or do you think Foden starts this weekend? So I presume, presume they're starting Foden with Gabriel as backup. Uh, basically, should they sell Gabriel? So I guess we just turn that into a more general question about selling Gabriel, which we covered a little bit already. Um, don't know what your thoughts are. I think Foden's minutes probably look a bit better. I've not I've not got them in front of me. Apologies, but I think I want to say he started midweek. Which for City uh, often is a decent sign, although the team was a bit rotated. I'll check for you. Um, I forget if he started on the first weekend as well, but I think did, his yeah. minutes are ah oh, perfect. So yeah, I think Foden's minutes are comfier, especially if they've got you know say De Bruyne out and and whatnot and haven't signed another right winger if they're going to sign one. I think Foden's minutes are comfier than Gabriel, so you're at least happy starting Foden and benching Gabriel. So then the question, assuming you don't have James or you've already sorted that, the question becomes: Are you happy with Gabriel as your first sub? And I think you are. Yeah. Um, unless you have this transfer burning a hole in your pocket, which you'd probably rather roll it. I think you take the weak of information. Yeah, I yeah I agree with that. Because you've got a player who thinks... That, yeah, Foden started both. Um, so yeah, I, I would, in his situation, I would definitely keep, uh, yeah, keep Gabriel. And I think it's probably in generally what most people should be doing unless they happen to be in the situation where they have like Gabriel and Stones, for example, and then like a Luton defender, for example, and not James. So they just have to sell one of them. And that makes sense to sell Gabriel, probably. Yeah. Uh, particularly if they don't have Chilwell, you can just make the switch there um, if you've got 0.5 in the bank or something. Um, but in general, yeah, that's the next question from F FBL Double Bogey. <laughs> what do you... Uh, Great name. I love some of the names on Twitter. <laughs> some of them are so random. FPL Cheesecake, stuff like that. Um, I don't know if there's an FPL Cheesecake, but I reckon there probably will be. Um, I, forget, I forget who it was, but one of the one of the streamers does, um, one of the YouTube streamers, apologies, I forget who it is, but often does the sort of ask, you know, a bunch of FPL question and always puts up that list of everyone they've asked. Yeah. And it is just FPL insert noun or verb or yeah. adjective or something here. And it's like, if you were trying to create an FPL account now, there's no words left for you. FPL colander. Yeah, like, literally <laughs> anything, yeah. Uh, uh, what to do with Reese James? Um, so I guess... From, from what I've seen so far, basically, he's having a scan and he's got a hamstring injury. But there are some rumours. So from Sam, oh, I can't remember his name now, there's a quite like a well-known in-the-know like United account, isn't there, that leaks news. But he said that James could be out for months. So if that's true, obviously you usually sell him because whether we're going to know that before tomorrow. Um, but I think in most people's positions, you probably sell him. And there are a few obvious options. So uh, I think Gusto is just the obvious one because he's probably going to be playing in the same position. Uh, and there's been some talk of is it Diassi? Is that right? Is that right? Yeah. So but he maybe play. I feel yeah, like he might play right back. But so my, you believe that might be overblown a bit, Seb? You were saying. Yeah. So like the way I see it, and I don't profess to know huge amounts about him, but he has played right back. But it's like at best a fifth of his appearances, and I don't know the context around those. We can go look those up before tomorrow. But if it was to cover for injury or if it was like right back, but in a team that were lining up in a back five and so actually was tucking in or whatever, that's one thing. 
if it was right wing back and it wasn't for tactical reasons, but just because he was flying there for half a season or something, that's a bit different. Mm. But realistically, I think Chelsea have signed a backup to Rhys James. We've seen him deputise in pre-season. We saw him sub on for Rhys James, though Rhys James wasn't injured. There were 12 minutes left, I think. I think it's extremely clear who Rhys James's backup is. And unless there's a tactical reason I'm not aware of to not just make that straight swap, I think Pochettino plays Malagusto at right back. Mm -hmm. The I think the main thing that would put me off is if we got confirmation James was injured, but it was like two weeks. That's then where you'd go to Gusto, so you're still using a Chelsea spot. And you may in a couple of weeks' time have the opposite problem where you're like, Well, when do I go back to James? Or when do I if Gusto's gonna be benched, when do I leave him? And unless you got confirmation that Gusto wasn't you might end up again with someone who in your team has uncertain minutes if we get confirmation that james is like a month two months three months i think gusto i dare say is is an easy pick but that feels a lot a lot comfier because i mm. believe he's the one that will come in and my worry about you know it being a problem at the other end obviously goes away or is pushed beyond my wildcard mm. yeah absolutely do you think there's anyone anyone like viable beyond I think it's just an easy switch from another Chelsea player based on the fact that... Colwell? I think people just... will go Colwell, right, for minutes. But do you think it's like, do you think there's anyone beyond Chelsea we should be thinking about? Like, for example, would you, I mean, you mentioned, um, like, would you be tempted to just go to Diaz, for example, particularly now we know that Stones is out? Like, I have Edison. So my, yeah. my City defence uh, has been satiated slightly. Mm. If you don't have any other City defence, especially if you had Stones and then got rid of him for well maybe you got rid of stones for james for example maybe going back to a city defender is a really nice swap just because i have one city defender that shouldn't really mean i shouldn't have another right if i think they have to keep clean sheets two city defenders is all good but with the defenders versus edison it's a minutes question mm. so while ruben Diaz feels like a nice swap it's also more expensive i think i think he's five five which is what james is but mm. if obviously if i go james to gusto i get another 1.5 i've got three million Am I getting Salah at some point? You know, is that is that how I'm actually going to go and improve my midfield somewhere? Or if Jao Pedro's out, I don't just have to go to a seven now. I could go to Watkins or someone like that. Mm. So I think that would be the temptation yeah. over going City defender. If you don't have any City defence already, that probably is the second best option. Yeah, I just don't like the City defence in general, apart from Edison, to be honest. I just don't, just never trust Pep. <laughs> um, and I was really frustrated, actually, when there was that leak of um, Stones and Guardiola not starting. I wish so many people were going to start with them. That would have been lovely. I didn't expect both. I had Vardiel just yeah. because of price thing. 5.0 felt uh, great. And again, yeah, yeah. it was that I can upgrade him to whatever. But I, I always thought that if you had one of them and you got a leak, you'd just be able to easily switch, switch to the yeah. other. But yeah, neither yeah. of them starting was quite a surprise. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely was. Um, so that links to our last, our last question is from Clapper and Gill, um, who says, he or she says, um, uh, start Saliba or Gvardiol. Uh, I would say Salih, uh, sorry, I'd say Gvardiol this week. Yeah, he he played midweek, didn't he? Um, and also he did indeed. And Pep likes that momentum, and just if he does start, his the clean sheet odds are a lot better for City than Arsenal, aren't they? I think. Just looking at the fixtures, so eight o'clock on the Saturday evening, with a Friday night deadline, you're probably not getting a leak because Arsenal was the midday game, and I think it was based on travelling. Yeah. There's every chance that City travel on the Saturday morning, not the Friday. So whoever sees buses doesn't get to see a bus. So we probably don't get a City lineup, in mm -hmm. which case you are just making a call based on expected clean sheet in minutes. Yeah, City Arsenal, play Newcastle, yeah. Arsenal, Palace Monday. And then, so what was the choice? Was it Vardial or... I forgot City play Newcastle, yeah. Uh, 
Maybe that's not a straight Lieber. I'd, I'd be tempted to Lieber. Palace away on Monday, mm. probably better fixture than Newcastle. And if you're not getting a lineup for either. Yeah. Yeah, it's an, it's an interesting one. I'm kind of interested to see what... I've stupidly have not got a review up here, otherwise I could quickly look and see what they're saying in terms of data. Oh, I might I might be able to grab... If you've, got, if you've just got I that... just grab you... If you've got that there, because it would just be interesting... Based on earlier, game week two, so I have... Because I reckon it's probably uh, close. Vardial is down on 61 minutes with an EV of 2.9. So that's mm. basically expecting City to concede, mm. um, which I think is fair. And then our other option being the Arsenal offence, Saliba is on 91 minutes with a score of four. So even if I up Vardial, let's just give him, let's just literally give him 81. So, so 20 you, more minutes. you think he's going to start, basically? basically 3.8. So he still basically comes in the same as Saliba. Yeah, so you Saliba. need to you need to be confident that Vardial is starting. Yeah. According to review, you need to be confident that Vardial is starting to play Vardial. Yeah. Completely agree. <laughs> I initially said Guardiola, but I forgot they were playing Newcastle. Yeah, I, I, yeah, that makes total sense. Um, yeah, I mean, that's all the questions we have. Um, let me just quickly just double check that. I've not missed anyone. Oh, we have one more. There's a bit from a guy called Andrew. Uh, no, sorry, I've answered that one. We had, we had another one basically about a guy, from a guy from... Um, oh, here we go. FPL Spartans found it. Yeah, when analyzing, when, uh, when analyzing data, basically at what point does a small sample size become a, a good sample size? And I guess we touched on that a bit earlier in terms of you just have to be willing to use small sample size at the moment. So if you've got a player new to the league, for example, but actually you still need to be putting a lot of value in last season, for example, as well, if you think their minutes are the same, uh, depending on the team, <laughs> to what extent. So for example, for a team like, I don't know, who's a team who's not really, who's like lining up similarly to last season, I guess, maybe like, Liverpool, Palace, like, probably. Yeah, yeah, like Liverpool, yeah. similar attack, similar defence, just a few yeah. changes in midfield. Like, you probably base a lot of it on last season's data, and you, there might be some adjustments based in the midfield. Or, oh, yeah, Palace. Whereas a team like Chelsea is just like new manager completely, loads of new signings. That's when you need to be a lot more willing to just be a bit more flexible with short term data. So, it depends a lot on context, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, it's just how robust is our data set. So, yeah. I mean, you're, you know, your your day job, right? Data's a part of that, I I would imagine. And so, for your day job, or, or my day job even, I would want like fifty, a hundred, as many matches as I can possibly get. And I would only I would only draw a sort of arbitrary cutoff if the data set massively changed, so that the earlier information was no longer valid or was probably more noisy than than I'd want it to be. In FPL, even if we do get like a consistent data set, you know, even someone like. He's been at a club for a while. You mentioned Klopp. That's kind of good enough, I guess. Like, mm. you know, someone like someone like Salah. Like, even with Salah, where you could grab five seasons worth of data, there is a bit of recency bias in FPL where while we should wait to, like, confirm changes, we often can't because the amount of time we'd have to wait, the season is over. Mm. So we are often making decisions in FPL on, like, three, four, five, six game weeks worth of data. Less than that, I think you're guessing, unless something has changed. But that's... That's okay. It's not perfect, but it's okay because FPL is so much a game of making decisions on quite on not quite enough data. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, completely. Yeah. And you have to I guess a good yeah, you just you sometimes you can't afford to wait because you like you literally can't. You just have to make a decision there and then about a player. And other times it is just wider, wiser to wait for a bigger sample. If, if you can, and even earlier with certain things like we talk about now with Gabrielle, in the context of what's just happened to Gabrielle, one more game of data, <laughs> so to speak, is actually really helpful because if he doesn't start the next game, suddenly he's an absolutely obvious sell compared to being like, a, oh, interesting, actually, he did play this one and he played really well. 
So actually, sometimes just an extra game is so valuable in terms of information. Um, yeah. yeah, we did have one more question I just couldn't find, but it was about basically whether you can get mini league data into an Excel sheet, which uh, I'm not sure about. So I will ask someone, and whoever that is, I will message you on Twitter. Um, I guess to summarize the pod, um, Gabrielle, like, if you can, we think, like, hold him for a week and you'll get way more information. So if it's possible to do that, do that, particularly if he's your first sub. And the other big dilemma in terms of Reese James, like, it's probably looking like you have to sell, but wait until last minute tomorrow in case you get more information on how long he's out for. And it's looking likely that you sell him. Uh, probably for Gusto is a good option and Colwell's not, Colwell is another option as well. But there's probably not m- massive reason to look beyond, for example, and go towards City defenders well, or other players who are more expensive because of that more, more of that flexibility, particularly in game week three or four, where you might want to upgrade a position. I've tried to summarise <laughs> the most important things in just a couple few sentences. Um, and yeah, but I think that was everything. In terms of captaincy, I guess we can touch on that for 30 seconds. Seb, Summarise captaincy for me in a couple of sentences. If you have Salah, Captain Salah, but you don't, so Captain Haaland. Yep. I can, if you don't have either, uh, buy Haaland <laughs> or buy Salah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I would do that immediately. My dad, <laughs> my dad started playing FPL this year for the first time. And he, <laughs> he's hilarious because he's, he's not a massive football fan at all. He just He's just a massive Preston fan. But he hardly ever follows the Premier League. And so I looked at his, his team for first game. He just doesn't have Haaland. Uh, and I got, I got a message from him 30 minutes into the game saying I think I might buy, buy Harlan next game week <laughs> was, yeah probably a good probably a good idea <laughs> it's one of those where like you could probably win FPL if you didn't have Harland. Yeah. like your play needs to be so perfect mm. like who outscored Harlan this week like Varane so you've got a captain Varane in the first week <laughs> to beat up on what most of the field did it's it's entirely possible it's just entirely implausible yeah it's, it's definitely like it's really possible to have a good season without him it's just so unlikely in reality because he'd have to make so many perfect decisions but that's where i think even if his even if Haaland's pricing was like two million more it'd be interesting as i think even at two I mean, million, he's 90 percent owned if even you know, if there was ever proof that he wasn't priced high enough mm-hmm. and that's not criticism if he's 90 percent owned he isn't priced high enough because yeah. not enough people have gone it's worth trying without this yeah that's why his trend is probably priced really well because at times when their fixes are amazing it'll probably be a far higher ownership and it's fairly I think it's decent now and Salah's priced probably really well this year as well uh, but it's also the other players in comparison to Haaland particularly those players around 8 million Saka, Martinelli Rashford, yeah. Bruno but yeah yeah that's that's true if Rashford is 10 or something yeah suddenly, uh, or Saka's like 9.5 then suddenly having both of them and Haaland is a lot harder yeah. so do you consider sacrificing Haaland it, it's a game of relative pricing yeah but I think with the prices now yeah I think even if Haaland was like 16 We'd still be strongly considering him. That's how good he is. He's probably has even more than that. Just an interesting position. But yeah, that's a wider point. So Captain Haaland. 99.7 in the elite. On on review, oh. in the elite sample, 99.7. Who are the 0.3? 0.3%. Absolute legends, whoever they are. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So yeah, you basically... I, 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 yeah, I would strongly say that if you do have Salah, just captain him. Like he is well ahead of... It's all relative, but yeah, he's well ahead of Haaland, I would say. I don't think that's a big decision. Just cap- Yeah, it's captain. nearly like two EV. It's, it's really solid. Yeah, yeah, I would definitely captain Salah. And I would definitely vice-captain Haaland, but just captain Haaland if you have him. Um, but yeah, that, I think that concludes things. Do you have anything more you wanted to add to Seb? We have to wrap things up. Oh, no, I am very happy to, to stop talking. But thank you so much for letting me talk for so long. <laughs> I really, really enjoyed it. Um, yeah, it's been great. It's been really good. This is actually the first time me and Seb have ever met. Uh, 
apart from messaging each other on Twitter and WhatsApp. So that's cool. Yeah, I look forward to podding with you in the future. I think I think I'm on next week with Luke from Memory. So tune into that. He'll have lots of thoughts. Oh. Lots of thoughts on Man City. Um, the, yeah. the OG combination. <laughs> yeah, the originals. Yeah. Um, and thank you to yeah everyone who's tuned. We've had like over fifty people watching the whole time. Um, so yeah, we re- like, we genuinely really appreciate you guys who tune in, and we'll get it uploaded as a pod as well as quickly as we can if you want to catch up on it. Um, also, um, and yeah, like and subscribe, all that stuff, and see you next week. Thanks very much.